You see, I think there's great value in having heroes, having men and women that you can look to, who can inspire you and whom we can learn from. Well, in the month of July, we're gonna do exactly that. We're starting a new sermon series called World Changers, and we're gonna be looking back throughout church history and meeting different men and women whom God has used to change the world. Jeremiah 6, verse 16 says, this is what the Lord says. Stand by the roadways and look. Ask about ancient paths. Which is the way to what is good? then take and find rest for yourselves. You see, in a world that stirs itself into a tizzy over what's new, what's trending, what's hot right now, there's wisdom in looking back and learning from the ancient paths, from those who have gone before us. You see, one of God's good, God's good gifts to us is looking backwards, at men and women who have been faithful to Jesus and lived their lives for his glory. And it helps us to persevere in the faith, to learn from those who have gone before us. If you don't have any Christian heroes, I wanna encourage you to pick up some biographies and start studying believers who have walked before us. You and I can learn from men and women from all over the world who have been faithful to Jesus in the midst of tremendous suffering and trials. It not only encourages us in our faith today, but it pushes us towards perseverance in the gospel into the future. So to start us off this morning, we're gonna be introduced to a woman born in 1840 in Albemarle, Virginia. Charlotte Diggs Lottie Moon. She was born to a wealthy family that owned a 1,500-acre tobacco plantation. Her father died when she was 13 in a riverboat accident, leaving her and her mother to care for the farm. She was academically sharp. She learned five languages, but she was not interested in spiritual things until she got to college. When she got to college, a group of her friends were very concerned about the condition of her soul. So they began praying for Lottie. They began praying that she would come to faith in Jesus. Well, one night, she couldn't sleep. There was a dog barking throughout the entire night, making her unable to get her sleep. And so while she was awake, she began thinking about the condition of her soul. She was very concerned about who she was and where she was going. She attended a revival meeting soon after and listened to the preaching of John Broadus, which is one of the founders of Southern Seminary, a school that both Christy and I have graduated from. And it was under Broadus's preaching that she was so convicted by the Holy Spirit that she prayed all night. And on December the 21st of 1858, she trusted in Christ. That is when everything changed. She had found treasure. And she sold all that she had to buy this treasure forever, which is what Jesus is calling all of us to do in Matthew 13. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Matthew 13. We're going through this new sermon series, World Changers, looking back at faithful men and women who have been 
following Christ in the midst of great difficulty and trial and have had great impact for King Jesus. Well, in Matthew 13, Jesus is teaching by the Sea of Galilee and the crowds were so large that he had to get into a boat. And he sat down in the boat with people standing on the shoreline and he began to teach them a series of eight parables here in chapter 13. Now, a parable is a story that communicates a truth. In Matthew 13, verse 44, Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. You see, when you encounter Jesus, you and your future are changed forever. That's what happened to Lottie Moon. And that's what happens when you and I believe the gospel. I want you to see these three truths here in the text, that when you believe the gospel, you find, number one, that Jesus is the costly treasure and the precious pearl. Jesus is the costly treasure and the precious pearl. Jesus is teaching here in the text that the, his kingdom, he's teaching the, the truths about who he is and where he comes from. The kingdom is common theme throughout the gospel of Matthew. It shows up 54 times in the gospel, 12 times in chapter 13. See, when you think about the kingdom, you might think about a castle with high walls that are made of stone and maybe a drawbridge with, with a moat. But you see, the kingdom of God does not revolve around a place. The kingdom of God is about a person. The kingdom refers to the rule and the reign of Christ. And where the king is, that is where the kingdom is. Jesus said in Luke 17, verse 21, the kingdom of God is in your midst. So here in Matthew 13, Jesus is the costly treasure. He is the precious pearl. Notice in the first parable, Jesus says that the kingdom, verse 44, is of such priceless value that it's like treasure buried in a field. You see, in Jesus' day, they didn't have banks or safety deposit boxes to put your valuables in. They would hide their valuables into a jar made of clay, and then they would bury that jar in the ground. Well, when the man finds the treasure, verse 44, he reburies it and in his joy, he sells all of his possessions and he buys that field. The man had found the greatest treasure one could ever imagine and he sells everything to get that field. Well, in the second parable, Jesus then says that the kingdom is like a merchant, like a trader, like a man on a journey who is searching for fine pearls. And when he finds one priceless, precious, valuable, costly, expensive pearl, he sells all of his possessions, he sells all of his stuff, and he buys that one pearl. What's interesting is that the, the first parable, the man stumbles upon the treasure. It's as if he was walking out in the field and stubbed his toe on it. The treasure found him. In the second parable, the man is searching for pearls. In verse 46, he found the pearl. 
You see, some people come to Christ because the gospel hits them like an unforeseen Mack truck. I think of the apostle Paul, whose mission was to destroy the church and Jesus met him and changed him forever. There are others who are searching diligently, trying to find the truth, and then eventually their eyes are opened. Then they finally see. It reminds me of the Magi or the Ethiopian eunuch. They're they're searching for truth, and then God reveals himself to them through his word. See that word for priceless, verse 46, it means very precious, very costly. It's expensive. The the treasure and the pearl, they're so extremely valuable. Both men, they sell everything to get the treasure. They sell everything to get the pearl. Now, if people did not know what this man had found, they'd think he was crazy. Why in the world are you selling all of your stuff to buy that field? You are a fool. Why would anyone do that? Because he found treasure. He found something that they did not know. For some of you, you have left your old life. You have turned your back on evil ways and you are now following Jesus. And everyone from your past looks at you and says, you are a fool. How are you selling everything and you're all in on Jesus? Why would you do that? Treasure. You have found the pearl of great price. You have found the greatest treasure and his name is Jesus. He is the one worth selling everything for. He is the one who changes everything that you're saying, I'm gonna give up everything in my life if I can only have Jesus. He is the one I desire. He is the treasure I desire. He is worth more than any worthly value. And so when anybody of this world looks upon you and says, you are a fool, what you're saying is, I have found treasure. And his name is Jesus. Question, is Jesus your greatest treasure? Is Jesus precious to you? Is he valuable to you? If he's not, you don't know him very well because the point that Jesus is making here in the text is that he is the treasure. He is the pearl of great price. You see, if you lose everything in this world and you gain Christ, it's a bargain. Take it. You see, Jesus and his kingdom, they're better than money. Jesus and his kingdom is better than health. Jesus and his kingdom is better than strength. Jesus and his kingdom are greater than power. Jesus and his kingdom are better than big houses and nice cars and nice clothes. He's better than family and friends and even our own lives. Jesus is the treasure that your heart is longing for. But I want you to see secondly here in the text that when you believe the gospel, Jesus is joy for those who find him. Jesus is joy for those who find him. Once the man finds the treasure, look at verse 44. He reburies it and he prepares to sell everything to buy that field. But Jesus tells us the man's attitude, verse 44. In his joy, 
Oh, this is so good. Underline that. In his joy. It's not a burden. It's not a struggle. It's not a sacrifice. It's a joy. Yes. You get to gain Christ. You see, Jesus is the treasure. We joyfully sell all that we can gain him. I was trying to explain this parable to my kids this weekend in which I said, okay, guys, if you can imagine this box of cookies is treasure and I put it on the kitchen table and I said, okay, this is the treasure, but then this field is the table. And then I read the parable and I said, now imagine that a man is walking and he runs into the treasure. He discovers it. He then buries it. And then he goes and sells all of his stuff. And I began listing out all the things that my kids think is the greatest thing ever. So I said, guys, he sold all of his stuffed animals. He sold all of the Disney vacations. He sold all of the TVs. He sold all of the movies and all of the books, even his house and his cars. He sold everything. And one of my children said, that guy's a fool. And I said, you're right, unless, unless he has found something better. And I pointed to the box of cookies and I said, he has found treasure in this field. And it's better than everything else he owns. You see, Jesus is better than everything else in your life. And when you find him, he's far more precious than any earthly thing. And you gladly, with joy, you give away all your stuff. You sell all your stuff. Say, give me Christ. Give me Jesus. He is far better than any earthly thing I could ever possess. It's a bargain. You see, when Jesus is teaching here, he's saying that his kingdom is greater than any of our possessions. And so you sell all that you have to gain Christ. You give up on your dreams. You give up your 401k. You give up your desire for bigger and better things because you have found with Jesus. And so with joy, you sell all that you have to gain Christ. In the kingdom of Christ, the eternal gain is worth the temporary pain. When you see all that you have in Christ, this is a bargain. So when Jesus says, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me, you don't hesitate. You, you take up suffering over worldly pleasure because you have found treasure. You found the greatest thing there is, Jesus. He is the precious pearl. He is joy for those who find him. And when you see him in his glory, when you see him in his majesty, when you see Jesus in his wondrous beauty, you see that in him he is worth forsaking all things because he is the one who has forgiven you of sin. He has adopted you into his family. He has promised you eternal life. He has forgiven you of your past. He has changed your heart. He has given you his righteousness. He is in heaven preparing a place for you right now so that where he is, you may be also. When you discover Jesus, you're saying, give me him and get rid of the things of this world. This is the point Jesus is driving home is that he is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure. He is your joy. But I want you to see number three, that when you believe the gospel, you find that Jesus is worth selling everything for. 
See, both, of them, of the, both men in these two parables did the same thing when they encountered treasure. They sold everything. Verse 44, he sells everything he has. Verse 46, he went and sold everything he had. You see, the price tag is the same for all people to get into the kingdom. What's the price? All that you have. Rich and poor. Uptown and downtown. Caviar and food stamps. Wherever you are on the spectrum of wealth, the price is the same. You've got to be willing to give it up. This is why it's harder for the wealthy to get into the kingdom. Jesus in Matthew 19 has a man approach him who's very wealthy. And the man says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus then lists out several of the 10 commandments. The man says, well, I've kept all of them from birth, which we all know ain't true. But then Jesus says, okay, go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. And the scripture says that the man went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. Why? Because if you want to get into heaven, you've got to be willing to give up all things so that you can find Christ. It's trusting in Jesus. It's not Jesus plus. It's just Jesus. You're saying, I'm willing to give up everything in this world, all of my earthly valuables, so I can gain Jesus. He is the one I desire. He is the one I want the most. He is the one who's worth selling everything so that you might gain him. And so for the rich man, he was unwilling to forsake his worldly wealth to gain Jesus. And Jesus says, well, you can get into the kingdom. Notice Jesus didn't chase the man down saying, okay, okay, come back, come back, come back. No, 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 he doesn't do that. He lets the man walk away because he's driving home the point that riches and wealth are not what gets you into the kingdom. You can see why Jesus obliterates the health and wealth gospel. The garbage that's coming out of this country and being sent all around the world saying, if you believe in Jesus, your goats won't die. Your child won't miscarry. You'll have all of your dreams. Garbage. Jesus says, you gotta be willing to forsake all of that to gain me. I'm the treasure. I'm the precious pearl, Jesus says. He is the one that your heart was made for. He is the one you go after. So the question is, are you ready and willing to sell everything so that you might have Jesus? And before you and I sit here and think, well, I'm not really that wealthy. I mean, in comparison to other people in our culture, that may be true, but please realize, as a nation, we're in the top 10 of 195 countries in the world when it comes to wealth. The average income for a family in the world, average, all across the board, $10,000 per year. If you make more than that, which is all of us, you're wealthy. So Jesus is talking to us. Are you ready to forsake everything? Would you sell everything so that you might have Christ? And the point is, he's better. He's far more enduring than this temporary world. 
He's far more satisfying than these worldly goods. He's the one who bled and died on the cross to set you free from the bondage of sin. So those who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus by faith, he will receive you. He knows your past. He knows your sin. He knows the condition of your heart. He knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows your words before you say them. And he still loves you. He gladly died on the cross in your place so that you don't have to. You see, this is what Jesus offers to us. But this is a timely word for us from Jim Elliott, a faithful, godly missionary who gave his life for the gospel down in Central America. He said these words, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, Jesus is worth selling everything for. He's far greater. He's far more enduring. He's far more satisfying. And boy, Lottie Moon sure thought so. Lottie grew to be a petite four foot three inches tall. After college, she became a school teacher in Kentucky and then in Georgia. She joined a local church and began caring for the poor in her community. But it was her sister, Edmonia, who in 1872 went to North China as the first single Baptist woman missionary sent by the Southern Baptist Convention. Soon after her sister went, Lottie sensed God's call on her life to go take the gospel to the Chinese people. And she joined her sister there in 1873 at the age of 32. And for the next 39 years of her life, Lottie Moon invested the gospel into the hearts of the Chinese people. So what are some takeaways for you and I from Lottie Moon's life that we can go and practice and live out? I'm gonna offer to you four. The first is this, leverage your singleness for the kingdom. Leverage your singleness for the kingdom. Lottie had the opportunity to marry. She was engaged to Crawford Toy, a brilliant seminary professor. They even made plans for a spring wedding until Crawford went off to Germany where he learned from liberal biblical scholars who questioned the authority of scripture. He came back to the United States and was holding fast to evolution as fact and the lack of sufficiency of scripture. It's heartbroken. Lottie was broken by his theological compromise. She called off the wedding. She was shattered. She was grief stricken when she learned of his new theology and liberal beliefs, beliefs of the man she cared so deeply for. She could not marry a man who did not trust the sufficiency of the Bible. Crawford would go on to reject the trustworthiness of the scriptures completely, and by the end of his life, he had abandoned the, play, the, the faith entirely. Now, don't miss this. Lottie knew that when you abandon the trustworthiness of the Bible, what else do you have to stand on as a believer? If you can't trust this book, why in the world are we here, y'all? But you can. It's trustworthy. It's inerrant. It's perfect in all of its ways. It's heartbreaking to think about this, but she was willing to forsake marriage so that she might be faithful to Jesus. Isn't it interesting that Satan's old lie does not change? Did God really say? 
Satan will question and manipulate and slander God's word until Jesus returns. And then he will be thrown into the lake of fire forever. When Lottie was old, a little girl asked her, Aunt Lottie, that's what the Chinese women called her, Aunt Lottie, have you ever been in love? She replied, yes. But God had first claim on my life. And since the two conflicted, there could be no question about the result. After the breakup, Lottie returned to China heartbroken and would never return home to America ever again. She never married. She died in the Orient lonely, pouring out her life in ministry to the Chinese people. Y'all hear me on this. Singleness is not a relationship status to be embarrassed by. It's an opportunity for greater kingdom effectiveness. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, it's better not to marry. Why? It's because our allegiances are divided. He says, if you're single, you have wholehearted devotion to King Jesus. But if you're married, your heart is divided. Your heart is divided to please your wife. Your heart is divided to please your husband. It's far easier for someone who's single to leverage their lives in a greater way than those who are married with children because you can take greater risks for the sake of the gospel. You have this wholehearted devotion to King Jesus and that's what Lottie had. He was her treasure. He was her pearl of great, tri- uh, great price that she was willing to sell everything for. Now she wanted to be married, but she wanted Jesus more. You see, Jesus was her treasure. He was her joy and Jesus was worth giving up marriage for. She would rather be single and faithful to Jesus than to be married to a man who did not trust the Bible. So if you're single, leverage your time, leverage your money, leverage your resources, leverage all that you have to advance the kingdom of Christ. Secondly, second thing we learn from Lottie is faithful men need to step up and lead. Lottie would go and preach in the interior of China to women and girls, and yet reluctantly she had to preach to men as well. Many times throughout her almost four decades of ministry in North China, she was the only Southern Baptist missionary. In April 27th, 1874, she said this, oh, that we had active, zealous men who would go far and wide, scattering books and tracts and preaching the word to the vast multitudes of this land. She traveled from village to village doing open air preaching, sometimes preaching six to 11 times per day, coming home exhausted, sleeping on a a bed made of bricks in a room of dirt floors. She traveled 10,000 square miles into the Chinese interior with the gospel throughout her life. November 1st, 1873, she says, what we need in China is more workers. The harvest is very great. The laborers oh so few. Why does the Southern Baptist Church lag behind in this great work? I think your idea is correct that a young man should ask himself, not if it is his duty to go to the heathen, but if he may dare stay at home. The command is so plain, go. There are far too many men wasting their lives on video games when billions of people don't know Jesus. May God raise up men who are not afraid to take a punch. They'll have a backbone of steel and a heart that is broken of the lostness of the world. 
There are people who are far from God. And right now, there are far too many women who are outpacing men for the sake of the gospel. Where are the men? Part of our job, Faith Family Westwood, is to raise up godly men who are not afraid to go and do dangerous things for the sake of the gospel. They're not scared to go into dangerous places. These are the kind of men I wanna raise in my own family. And these are the kind of men I wanna raise up in our church. There's those who take the gospel seriously, but don't take themselves so seriously. But they love Jesus and they wanna take his gospel to those who have never heard. Men, get on your knees and ask God to give you a holy ambition, a task that is hard, not something that's easy. Ask God to give you a hard task and beg him for strength and grace and you roll up your sleeves and you get after it for his glory. Thirdly, whatever you do, do it somewhere strategic. Lottie was a school teacher in the U.S., and she, like many of you, had been trained on how to lead and organize and teach in classroom settings. She had the opportunity to go do the same in China. Many of you have been trained in business and in medicine and education, law enforcement. Do that. And yet do it somewhere strategic. Leverage it where you can have great impact for Jesus. You see, the question every believer must answer is not, am I called to go? but am I called to stay? The command of Jesus is to go. Now, no question, you can have impact right here. There's 130,000 people in Shelby County who do not know Jesus. We've got work to do. So, so be strategic, but looking for opportunities to leverage all that you have for the sake of the gospel. Every Christmas, we take up what's called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. Every dollar that you and I give to the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering goes to the field. The International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention takes those resources and sends them to the nations. Lottie's life and ministry was so significant that because of the naming of this offering and her name, since its inception, $3.5 billion have been given to international missions in her honor. But here's an interesting situation. Doug, can you throw a map up on the screen? The red is where the largest unreached people groups are. That's where the work remains. It's not gonna be easy, y'all. These are people who don't want you to come and tell them about Jesus. But the task remains. Maybe God may be stirring your heart to take what you do and go strategically into some of these areas where they won't let a preacher in. They won't let a missionary in, but they'll let you in as a teacher, as a law enforcement, as a businessman. For the first time, in IMB history, International Mission Board, in the first time in history, they have more money than missionaries. I learned that last month at our convention meeting. The money is there. They just don't have the families who are saying, I'll go. May God raise up men and women and families in our church who will be willing to sell everything so that they can take the greatest treasure to the world. Fourth and finally, 
we can take from Lottie is to be willing to lay down your life for what truly matters. In 1890, persecution broke out in China against Christians. Some Christians were tied to poles and then beaten until they would worship foreign gods. Yet most would not recant. There was one man, Li Xiaoting, was beaten by his brothers, had his hair pulled out. Lottie went to the persecutors and said, if you attempt to destroy his church, you will have to kill me first. Jesus gave himself for us Christians, now I'm ready to die for him. Li Xiaoting remained faithful to Jesus and then was used by God to baptize 10,000 believers in his life. The impact point is this, y'all. Forsake everything that prevents Jesus from being precious to you. Is Jesus precious to you? If not, get rid of anything in your life that keeps him from being your greatest treasure. It was 1912. Lottie was sick. It was decided that she needed to return to the United States where she could recover. Her four foot three inch frame body now weighed only 50 pounds. She had given away all of her food to the poor and to the hungry. She was put on a boat and on Christmas Eve of 1912, she was in Kobe, Japan Harbor laying on a ship. And in her final words, she was singing, Jesus loves me. In her last act, she raised up a fist and covered it, a form of Chinese greeting. And she met her greatest treasure. She met her greatest joy. She had finally met the pearl of great price. She went and met Jesus, the one who changed the world. Westwood, let's go and do likewise. Likewise. 